You're listening to episode 49 of The Marketer's Mindset with Brian Burkhardt. Back to the Marketer's Mindset, the podcast where we talk about how to create and sustain a powerful mindset to help you build a successful online business and lead a happy and abundant life. Guys, I'm so excited about our guest today who we're going to be talking to. As this is the last episode of the Marketer's Mindset for 2017, I think that today's awesome guest is going to share some powerful insights that are really going to help you make great strides in the new year to come. At the age of eight, today's guest called George Lucas. Yes, that's right. George Lucas to see if she could work with him on future movies. She then became the youngest general manager in eyeglass retailer LensCrafters history. And at the ripe age of 24, she launched her own training company. She's a speaker member of the Direct Selling Women's Alliance and has been named one of 25 sales experts you should follow on Twitter by HubSpot and 25 sales influencers to follow on Twitter by Salesforce.com and LiveHive. If that's not already an impressive resume, she's been named top 100 sales influencers and top 65 women business influencers by tenfold, along with being listed in top five female sales experts to follow for tips on increasing sales productivity by Market Circle. Because of her sales knowledge and information that she shares daily on social media, she's acquired over 23,000 Twitter followers and over 30,000 followers on Facebook. Along with her husband and partner, Richard Fenton, they have written and published five books including the long-running bestseller, Go For No, which currently has over 350,000 in sales with over a 1,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. That's a 1,000, everybody, which has been listed as one of three sales books that belongs near your bed by tenfold and listed in the most highly rated sales books of all time by Market Magnet. Just to name a few of its accolades, that's, that's it. There's a whole list. They then produced a 98-minute documentary DVD movie titled Yes is the Destination. No is how you get there. And they drove 12,000 miles around the U.S. to film it. Now, that's dedication. They are living their dream of speaking, writing, and traveling the country, delivering their message to tens of thousands of people to change lives with their powerful go-for-no message. Please welcome the woman who says she is wildly passionate about teaching audiences how they can overcome fear of failure and rejection and reprogram how they think about the word no. Andrea Waltz. Andrea, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Brian. That was quite an introduction. Well, you have quite a resume. I got it. And that's only part of it. I couldn't do it all of it. We would have spent half the show talking about it. Uh, Well, it's good to be with you. So good to connect. And uh, I want to give a shout out to Stephanie, who uh, introduced us. Yes, so, that's right. That's right. Yes, it was very nice of her to uh, 
connect us and stuff. And I know you had uh, what was it a sabbatical that you guys went on, or you you were you guys teaching? I know you were gone for a while. Yeah, for a it was. It was kind of a sabbatical. We decided to, um, and we had done this once before about seven years ago when we were living in Oregon, uh, actually, technically we were in Washington state and we moved to Florida. So we sold everything that we owned and took six months and, and lived in a vacation rental in South beach. And so we kind of did something similar over the summer. We sold everything we owned again, um, got back down to minimalist status and we rented a vacation house in Virginia for a few months and then came back to Orlando. Oh, wow. That must've been an adjustment. Yes, it was. It was it was nice. I mean, it was nice being in the mountains and having even though it was still kind of warm, um just getting out of the heat and humidity. That's the Orlando summer. Yeah, no doubt. I I used to it's been a long time but I grew up in Buffalo, New York, so I know about humidity. Oh, yeah. And now I'm in Arizona where we have what's called a dry heat. And it's funny because there truly is a difference between the humidity and a dry heat. So Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's there's a big difference on it. So great. I'm so glad that we were able to connect and finally do this. And like I said, this is the last episode for the Marketer's Mindset for 2017. So I'm excited about what you're going to share today because I really want to go into go for no. Obviously, that's a lot of your expertise with the sales. But I want to cover a lot of the mindset because basically that's what it is. It's a mindset shift. And I love how you guys created the book and we'll talk more about it and things like that. But um, once again, we'll give a shout out to Stephanie Callahan. Thank you so much for introducing us. And we will share this with you as well and let you know about the interview here. But before we start and dive in, I got to ask you, Andrea, at the age of eight, you actually called George Lucas? Yes. So I did. I didn't end up talking to George, unfortunately, but I uh, I was absolutely uh, head over heels in love with Star Wars. I watched it all the time. We had one of these old um, VCRs. Like it was, it was massive. It was like the size of a suitcase, you know, and um, we, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, dating myself, but uh and I, I loved his work and I, I, that's what was my dream was to, to be like a movie producer, come up with the ideas and, and work on them. And so a family friend happened over one day and got to talking and he knew about my obsession and said, I have George Lucas's personal office number. Do you want it? And I was like, yes, I'm going to call him. I'm, we're going to work together, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, I got up my courage a few days later and called and ended up talking to his secretary who convinced me that I, that I really needed to be in the fan club in order to stay in touch with George and his work. So I kind of got a, a rejection on that. And what happened after that, Brian, is I actually, in my memory, it was like, that was it. I, I hung up and I was calm and, and everything. Was, I went on with my life and didn't pursue it. My mom, however, reminded me that apparently, um, and I, I guess I had blocked this out, I threw a total and complete crying, screaming fit when I was rejected. So <laughs> I guess I, I really needed to um, get this whole go for no and dealing with rejection thing is really something that I needed to deal with because I didn't take that rejection very well, apparently. So um, that was my dream. And and so it's kind of cool that we did end up finally making a, our own movie, a documentary about go for no, about 
people who use go for no in their lives and their business. But um, yeah, it was kind of funny. And so that's one of the stories I tell when we speak, because I, I like sharing that, hey, it was a big no. That's usually what kids are pretty good at, but I didn't take it very well. And I certainly didn't follow up on it. Yeah, well, we'll understand. Age eight is young. So that's I, I just was amazed when I read that. And I was like, wow, to have. So, so where does this come from, Andrea? Was were you is it both your parents or did you think you got maybe a little more of that? Um, I don't know if you want to say courage or the that little fire in you from mom, dad, or was there a mentor or teacher? Where did that come from? You know, I don't know, Brian. I guess it really comes from I guess it really comes from just having a passion. And for me, that's always been um, underlying anything that I've been able to do and conquer my fear has been having a passion for it. And the perfect example for that is that I hated speaking in front of groups. I hated public speaking. I had a... Um, a commit, I had a personal commitment to myself that I would never, I would do everything within my power to not have to speak publicly. And this was after a really unfortunate um, speech that I gave in the seventh grade, which was just so humiliating. And I just absolutely hated it. And I said, I will never, I mean, I will do extra credit. I will do whatever it takes to not have to give an oral presentation. I just hated it. And then when Richard and I hooked up and he was like, we're going to do, we're going to, we can go speak and we can do training. And I said, well, no, you can speak, you can do the training. I'll do all the marketing. And then once we really launched into go for no and started doing speaking and training around that, and it's a topic I just so love and so believe in, I was finally able to conquer my horrific fear of speaking. So to me, the courage really comes from just having that passion. And so if there's something that I love, I can, I can learn to get over my fear. That's great. So do you think it's, and I believe in so strongly in passion and I know there's different schools of thought out there. You've probably seen stuff on social media with different talks. And uh, even I know Mike Rowe has a popular video out there. Don't follow your passion and, and so forth. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes people get it mixed up though, because your passion could be to, you know, like you get a message out there. It doesn't necessarily have to be the vehicle that you're using, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes people go, well, follow your passion. You might not be able to make money at it. You know, there's a whole long thing on it. But what I liked about it, I think, and and let me know if I'm right on this, but when you have passion and you have a message that you believe in, I think your enthusiasm stuff overcomes that fear, right? Because you want to share that message with others. So you're not kind of self-focused, you're more focused on helping those individuals. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I would absolutely agree with you on that. You know, the whole passion discussion is interesting because it's it, it really is an interesting conversation about, you know, should you follow your passion, follow your dreams? And you just, I think, really have to be honest and realistic about what that entails. And a lot of it has to do with how much you're willing to suffer. You know, um, passion in um, comes from like the root word pathos, it really has to do with suffering. <laughs> and, it, and it really has to do with um, how much are you willing to go through in order to pursue and that passion. And I could make the case that a lot of us have many, many different passions. What I see, though, and I know this for myself, and I see this all the time, 
And people, when I'm trying to teach them to go for no and to move through failure is unless they really are committed to something and have some level of passion for it, all there is is stalling and procrastination because the pain is greater than the passion. And so you have to have that to some extent. Maybe it's not living your, maybe it's not living your ultimate dream because your ultimate dream was to be a ballerina. And that's just at this point, realistically, be honest, it's not going to happen. Right. It's just not, you have to, have to, that is something that you do very, very early and it's a very, very specific skill and um, doesn't mean you can't explore that in your life and have that as a part of your life. It may just not be your vocation. You may not be dancing the nutcracker in on Broadway or something, but you do have to have some level of passion, I think, to achieve anything. No, I totally agree with you. And I'm glad you shared that because it's true. You know, you may not do what you really want. And sometimes maybe what you're doing as a career may fund or give you the opportunity to do something, you know, that you couldn't really that you're passionate about, but maybe not make a living at. Absolutely. But I think with that passion though, like you said, it's so tough and there's challenges that come up. And if you don't have the passion with it, it's so much easier to give up. You know, you're not fully vested. So it's easier to just say, nah, this isn't working, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, as you know, the show is called The Marketer's Mindset. And I love to ask this question. I even got to ask this to Damon John. Uh, a few months back from Shark Tank. He was here in the Valley. Yeah. And I I had a friend of mine that was on the show and got me a ticket to an event. And there's a local guy here, Joe Polish. Oh, yeah. 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 I went to his event. He just had a a one at his headquarters, which is just a small one during Christmas that he does. And he had a group of his 25K members show up there and just share their, what they call their moonshot for the year. Awesome. But what I liked about this is I got to ask Damon on this and I love to ask you this. How important, Andrew, do you think mindset is to success, especially like in sales or building a successful business? It is so important, Brian. It, and it is so because it so underlies everything. And the more I dig into my own psychology and the more I watch and study top performers, and I consume a lot of content probably like you do um, as a content creator yourself. Um, and you just see that it it's the thing that gets everybody stuck and it's the thing that you use to get unstuck. So your mindset just is so foundational um, to everything. And and you do what you can, I think, to 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 subvert it because you're always really you're always battling with your mind. It's just a constant battle. Like I think about Mel Robbins five second rule, which is don't, you know, don't start thinking about things. If, if you think uh, that you wake up in the morning and it's like, I don't want to get out of bed. And she says, you can't listen to your brain. You have to just, you, you count backwards, five, four, three, two, one. That's the five second rule. You probably know that and, and jump up, right? Because you're, you have to fight your, in your, um, whether it's your, lethargy or laziness or just your bad attitude of, I don't want to get up today. I don't want to do anything. And so you're constantly fighting your mind. It's just a battle. Yeah. And that, and that's one of the things I kind of think of it as, cause I always been thinking about it like you, you know, you always, the psychology just amazes me. I, I just get fascinated by why people do certain things or why they don't do certain things and how do other people 
overcome the same circumstances, you know? Yeah. And one of the things I, I think of is I think of it as mind judo. <laughs> and I did some research on it because judo is where you take another person's, they're not an aggressive fighter. They're more of like taking somebody's energy when they come and get attacked and using that to like throw them off balance and things of that nature. So I kind of think of that as the mind because we're never going to shut up the mind and we're never going to make it go away. You know, people are like, I don't want to have negative thoughts. Well, you know what? They're going to show up. So I think of it as mind judo where you know it's going to show up. You're aware of it. You acknowledge it. You don't fight it, but you use it in a creative way. And we're going to talk about it because I want to I want to get into this and I, I want to get your take on it because I've talked to different people on it. But when we start talking about failure and things of that nature and uh, fear, fear of success or fear of failing, you know, mm-hmm. using that to your advantage instead of letting it hold you back. So I kind of picture this judo where you're, you're using the mind as a benefit to you instead of trying to fight it and eliminate negative thoughts and all that. So that's kind of my take I on it. I love that. That is so great. I want to get a little brain or something in a judo suit with a little headband as right. a little like logo. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Now I love, let's get into go for no, because, you know, as you know, Andrea, Everything is sales. We're always selling, and, and people say it over and over, whether you're selling your children on a concept, your community on a project, you know, maybe you're on a board of directors or you're with the school, whatever it is, you're, you're selling something, an idea, a product, whatever it is. So what you do, I think, is so important in your message that you came up with. And what I really love about the book, too, on there is that you created a fictional character and you did it in a story. And I think stories are so powerful to teach a message. And I think people retain it and understand it better than just, you know, saying things technically in a book, one, two, three steps. You know what I mean? Right. So I think, did you guys just come up with that together? How did this book come about that you guys wanted to write it? And how did you choose to go this route? Well, um, so Richard and I are uh, failed screenwriters. (laughs) And so we love writing stories. And when I say failed screenwriters, what I mean is, uh, well, it's true, literally failed screenwriters. So he has, he wrote um, a few scripts before we met. And one of the things that we did on the side, kind of like a side hobby was um, we wrote spec scripts when we lived in Los Angeles, which means um, the word is spec. So speculative, right? You write a script and you send, you actually don't send it in. If you send it in, they'll send it right back to you. You, you query agents and you try to get an agent and the agent will then read up a just short description of your script. And if they like it, they'll have you send the script. And if they like the entire script, then they'll take you on as a client. So that was one of the things that we did. So anyway, I, I'm digressing and let me stay on track. So anyway, we love writing and we love stories. And like you just said, we believe that, that um, the story was the best way to communicate. So the very first thing that we ever did um, when we launched our speaking and training company, we were working in the retail industry at the time. And we decided that the best thing to do would be to have a book uh, as kind of a calling card, which is very popular today. This was back right. in like 1998, 1999. So we wrote a little book, 64 pages, self-published it. It was called Unlocking the Secrets of Retail Magic for people who ran retail um, stores. And our goal was to have retail executives 
Um, it wasn't really mom and pop so much. It was like retail executives to buy hundreds of copies for their managers and maybe even their salespeople. That was our vision. So we kept it really short and we wrote it as a fable because again, that's kind of like our, our, that's what we love to do. So we thought this is perfect. We'll just merge it. And that book did really well to- selling it not on Amazon, like totally just o- offline sending review copies to companies. That's what we did. So when it came time a couple of years later, when Go For No really became our focus, because that was the thing that everybody loved to hear us talk about, we said, well, let's write a, a, go, a book. Just We'll call it Go For No. It'll be just about this concept. We'll flesh out all the ideas. And then we said, let's write it as a fable also. Um, and the key to it really it's twofold. It's one, I think it it's taking a small idea and blowing it up rather than trying to write a book that has all, you know, hundred best things that you can do to sell something, right? Everybody, it's kind of like, don't tackle something huge. And then the second key about a fable, which a lot of people don't focus on is you have to have some conflict, right? You, you, um, in a lot of the fables, what happens is, um, and some people are turned off by them. Some people just don't like them. But it's, you know, you go next door and you learn from the you learn from the wise mentor next door. And that's great, but also you want to have some conflict. So that was, I think, one of the things that we did right was we kind of tried to make it interesting by having a little bit of conflict in there. Yeah, she did a good job at that. It's I like how you guys did it too. Well, thank you. And it's I mean, um, and the other piece, the final piece was just keeping it short because <laughs> we know that people don't like a book that doesn't get read, doesn't get recommended. So that was very intentional. Also, what's kind of funny about that is when you're self-publishing and you're buying, you're printing the book yourself. Well, even back when we did our 64 page book, we didn't have a lot of money. Like we couldn't shell out $10,000 to get a ton of books. So it was like, all right, how how low can we, how small can we go, still have a book that looks halfway decent, but not have to spend an arm and a leg on the actual book itself so that we could send out review copies and get those sales. That's great. And I love it because you guys had to do it old school, you know, where, like you said, it, you, there wasn't what print on demand was hardly popular at all then. Yeah. Right? I don't was even it, know if yeah. there was print on demand back then. I mean, what we did was we did, we literally like designed the entire book ourselves and found an offset printer and said, how much for um, 3000 copies got the price ordered 3000 books. And then we're like, okay, let's now we have to sell these. <laughs> that's, that's basically how it started. That's great. I love that. And because you guys had to become creative, you had to figure it out. Like you said, you we got a limited amount of resources financially to buy this. We don't have someone that we can spend a ton of money with to design it. So you guys figure that's that's great. And I love how the the fictional character, how it's, and I I guess I I could say it. I want people to. So if people, if you haven't bought this, please go ahead and do it. I think I'm gonna even I'm gonna do a little. uh, a thing to to start off the new year and I'm going to give away some copies and I'll do it on another podcast. I'll, I'll explain the details on it, but this book is so important. You guys um, listening that it, you've got to get it. Like Andrea said, it's short, it's a fable. So it's enjoyable to read, but the message is so powerful and it will affect you, your life and especially the business with, you know, online business and whatever you're doing, even if you have an offline business, but it's going to be so powerful if you take this message and apply what they teach in here. 
So we'll, we'll do a giveaway with some books on it, but go ahead and get the book. And what's great about it is when they have the conflict, the character here, Eric Bratton, who's a reluctant copier salesman, basically comes across his own self later on, but he does it where it's kind of like if you had two brothers and one went one path and one went another path, but had the same message given to him. So I think that's creative how you guys did it. I love how, how that happened. Well, thank you. And yeah, that was really well put. That's a good visual. Exactly. It's him, but they do feel like two brothers. So it's like, it's like if you had, um, uh, you've probably heard the analogy or the story, um, you know, you have two identical twin brothers and they, they grew up in a, horrible dysfunctional household with a father who abused them and was drinking all the time. And one becomes wildly successful and one becomes just like his father. And when asked like, what, how, why did, why did this happen to you? How did you take this path? They both give the same reason, right? Cause they grew up in this horrible household. And so it's just, it was interesting to us how paths sometimes happen, how you can experience something, two people can experience something, and each takes on a diff- totally different direction, totally different lesson. One will do nothing with it, and one will make it a total life-changing event. Yes. And that's what fascinates me is like, why, you know, it, and it all comes to like, we talked about the mindset. Yeah. Are you, you know, like Paul Dweck says, are you more of a growth mindset or a fixed mindset? And I think that's is an easy way to kind of define the distinction too, where you think it, all right, I'm not going to go down that path. I, I have the ability to change my life for the other ones. It's fixed. This is how it is. And this is what I'm going to end yeah, up becoming. Exactly. Now in the book, you guys talk about what it takes um, to outperform. And I, I saw this, I think it was on Amazon, 92% of the world's salespeople. Yeah, yes. Yes, exactly. And it talked about that failing and failure are two very different mm-hmm. things. Tell me what you meant by that. Yeah. So, um, it, first of all, we try to change people's mental model of what failure is. And um, to us, failure is just a part of the process. It 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 literally it's not who you are. It's something that um, happens along the way. And so the model that we share with people is that most people are kind of in the middle and they look at success and failure as choices, as I'm going to either try to be successful or try and, and, and also simultaneously, I want to avoid failure where really they're such a package deal in order to achieve success, in order to reach your goal, failure is a part of it. It's along the path rather than where you're trying to see these two things as choices. So we have this little model drawn up in the book. And so if you think about failing is just part of the process, but a lot of times people think of themselves, I'm a failure. They label themselves as a failure. That's where the difference comes in. You are not a failure. The only way you're a failure is if you quit on something that you truly want to achieve and you truly believe in. And quitting is not necessarily a bad thing either. So it's really just giving up when you don't want to. I mean, that's, that's I guess, um, a real failure. But a person ultimately is never a failure, even though you do a lot of failing. Right. You fail your way to success, basically. Exactly. Exactly. You have to have to get that mindset because what we see all the time is it's the avoiding of failure that stops so many people from 
from achieving what they want. And so we've all been taught and trained this kind of failure is not an option mindset. And I understand that's like a really inspiring, great phrase, you know, and we've got people on the backside of the moon we're trying to rescue. And yeah, you don't want failure to be an option. You want to have the mindset that we have to, we have to bring these guys back. I get that. Um, But in business and some other things, it's when you have that as kind of your underlying mantra, something that you've been kind of programmed along the way, then the safest thing to do is to not start. If failure is not an option, then it's don't do anything at all. Because, and this kind of goes back to talking about mind judo or brain judo, um, the brain is always trying to protect us. It's in full protection, fight or flight, you know, it's trying to protect us. So if it thinks that failure is not an option and that you and that you're going to try something and failure is a potentiality then it's like all right no this doesn't fit the criteria you can't do this and then you start talking yourself out of it and go you're ah, you're ah, you're absolutely right i can't do this i shouldn't do this and so people don't start things they don't try things because they have this as you said this very fixed mindset which is uh, all about um, not seeing the value in failure, not learning from things and moving on. It's it's kind of like, I have to go out there, I have to prove myself, I have to be perfect. All of this has to work for me. And then every, I'll be happy. Um, and that's just not how it is. It's so much far messier than that. Yeah, very messy at times. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. And I like how you, you said that because I think it goes back to kind of like we talked about with passion, people, you really got to be detailed and explain it when you, you say it, because if you say it generally, like, like we talked about passion, like, oh, don't fail. Failure is not an option. Well, it's got to be put in the right context because yeah, there's certain things, like you said, you're going to the moon and you need to sort you know, go rescue a crew or you're in a battle zone or something. But when it comes to business and life, you're going to be constantly failing and learning and failing and learning and failing. So, you know, people, I think when you, you take a message and I like how you you uh, went into it deeper and explained it, because if you just hear that on a surface level, it's like, oh, there's where the conflict mm-hmm. comes in. No, I don't think you should fail. Oh, yeah, you got to fail, mm-hmm. you know, all in the context. So I like how you said that on there. So, Andrea, how does one start to... Like we talked about before, and I kind of prefaced it, and I want to bring back to it. Um, have fear. Mm-hmm. A lot of people fear failure. So if someone is, has like, you know, I don't want to fail. I don't want to start this and fail and look silly or whatever. How do you talk to someone or what do you share or what strategies do you have to say, okay, you need to take action to get someone to start to take action and then not to have that negative label of, of failure when they are pursuing the dream right. or their passion or whatever? Yeah, it's such a good question. Well, the, first of all, and when whenever we talk about fear, like fear is so, to me, the most cliched answer, and yet it's so true, is the only antidote to fear is to take action. The, you know, the only way you're going to get rid of it is to move forward. And, and I think we've all experienced that to some degree, right? Where we've then fearful, we try something, it works out, and we say, oh, okay, that wasn't as bad as I thought. Um, I survived that. And 
And um, one of my favorite things Jack Camfield said when I was interviewing him for a go for no movie, and he said, you know, people need to fail, they need to have the successfully survived risk. That's what grows their confidence that that's how they see, oh, this wasn't so bad. And that's how you continue to grow. Um, so it is a very cliched thing to, to say, and that, and yet people come back and they say, well, I'm still scared. I'm still scared. And, and so there's only so much convincing you can do of somebody, right? It's like at some point, if you're scared and you just refuse to move. So it comes back to what you said, Brian, it's, it's constant mind judo. It's constant fighting the mind and fighting the brain. And, and if somebody refuses to take action because they're still scared, then I I mean, I say to myself, well, then what are all the, what's some, what are some of the mind judo tricks that you can use to change things around? And I'll tell you the one that Richard and I have come up with, and it's a little crazy, but it has worked on things that we've really wanted to try. And the question that we've asked ourselves is instead of saying, um, there's a question out there that people ask all the time, and it's, what would you do if you knew you would not fail? And yeah, and it's an interesting question, but I'll tell you, it's, it's to me, when, when somebody asked me, you know, what would you do if you knew you would not fail? I, there's so much I would do because if you're telling me I would not fail, well, geez, I guess I'd open a restaurant. I would be a movie director. I'd be a movie producer. I, um, gosh, I guess I would try my hand at, um, theater. I mean, there's like, it's everything, right? It's, it's, you're telling me I won't fail. The interesting question though, and where the un- finding your underlying passion and how far you're willing to go is what would you do if you knew you would fail, but it's worth it anyway? Like you want to do it so badly that even if you would fail, you'd still try it. And I know, and again, it's, and most people, unless the answer is if there's nothing, then, then that's, that's okay. But understand it's going to, you're, then you're going to have to do some mind judo some other way. So for us, for us, when we ask that question and we say, there's some things that we love so much that even if they fail, we're still going to do it. Like writing is the perfect example. So we've had, um, a couple books that have ended up being successful, like Go for No. And we've also had had some books that have been like basically just haven't done anything. I mean, really haven't sold at all. But I don't look back on those and say, oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. No, it was, we want to write this no matter what happens. So it comes down to that playing a trick on your mind to see how you can pull yourself out of that fear instead of saying, oh, I'm fearful of this. I can't do it. I can't do it. Just stop with the pressure of success and the pressure of perfection and say, and give yourself permission to fail. And would you do this anyway? Even like, are you so interested in this? Is it so interesting to you that even if you knew you'd fail, you'd still try it? It's there's not a lot. I mean, it really narrows your your options down, doesn't it? Because there's not a lot that people I think would go for that. Yeah, I th- and I think I just had an aha moment, Andrew, when you said that. I think you know how many people talk about. Well, you know, I don't I don't know what my passion is. What is my what is my passion? What what should I be doing in life? And I think the way you guys have phrased that question brings up people's passion because now. Like you said, what is it you're going to do that you know you're going to fail, but it's going to be worth it and that you would do it anyways? You know, it's kind of like, what would you do for free? You know, if you, if you weren't even paid for it, 
you do. So I think your question there to get people to take action is great, but I think it also can help people find what they're passionate about. Because like you said, that question narrows it down. Instead of opening it up to a huge buffet where you get overwhelmed and you're like, oh, I guess I could do a, be an astronaut if you said I right. wouldn't fail, you know? <laughs> this way, it makes you focus and say, wow, what would I really spend time on to continue to keep doing because I love it so much. So I, I think it's a powerful It is question. an interesting question. And it's very similar to the, what would you do for free? Um, you're completely right. And I love that question as well, because ultimately what does this all come down to, right? It, it comes down to um, uh, the honest thing is oftentimes, well, I, re- you know, I really only want to do this if it succeeds. Like I'm only going to be happy with the outcome of this project or of this thing I'm pursuing if it succeeds. Otherwise, it's just going to be one big waste of time. And so that attaching that free thing is really important because it's the same thing. It's like, what would you do if, if, if at the end you had created something or you had learned something, but it didn't make you any money? You, you basically did it all for free. Um, and that kind of goes to that whole growth mindset of, of making life fun, interesting and experiment and seeing the value and seeing all the lessons and doing kind of a, a, an autopsy on the things that you've tried and looking and, see, and seeing where you went wrong um, to figure out how you failed. I mean, Richard and I wrote a book that was so, it was such an unmitigated disaster. It was so awful, Brian. It was like the most ridiculous thing. And we, we didn't stop to think about a few things and we went back and we did like this whole autopsy on it. And we looked at everything that all of the little mistakes and all of the wrong thinking. And we actually wrote this whole report around it because I like now I'm going to take that and share that with people and actually turn that massive failure into helping other people. <laughs> so you can take your, your failures and you can actually help other people with them too. Right. And that's the, that's the thing is sharing those lessons that you learned, what mm-hmm. worked for you. you know? So I love how you said fun when you brought that up in there and you talked about having fun and trying things. That's one thing I share with my uh, kids. Um, when I see other young people and stuff like that, it's like, you know what? If you don't know what you don't what you want right now, that's fine. Try things. You know, try things before you're married, before you have children, before you have a, a mortgage and you're, you know, you're renting yeah. out your just your you know, try different things. Find out what you mm-hmm. like, but explore. Don't be afraid to try different things, you know, and don't feel that you gotta have it figured out yet. Explore and have fun and learn because you may have never, you know, you may end up in a career that you never would have thought of because you tried something and found out, wow, and this led to something else. And then, you know, you found yes, your passion. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, I think that, I think that's great. I love that. So, we know how to, to get people started now because you, you had a wonderful question you guys came up with. Now, along the way. And I know the passion is going to be there to pretty, pretty much sustain them. But how does one or what have you guys shared with people or what has worked for you and Richard in, in, as far as overcoming those, if you want to call failures along the way? I, I like to say learning opportunities or you know, not failures. It's just a learning lesson. What, what is it that will, besides the passion in that question, what would you share with people to continue to take action when they f- you know, hit that failure, especially at the beginning when you're starting to fail and you're starting to learn that it's mm-hmm. a process, you know, starting to build yeah. that thick skin. What do you guys have? 
kind of a process yeah, or um, what? Not that? exactly, but it kind of comes down, back down to that model that I talked about. And so if you visualize success and failure on either side of you, and instead you put the failure um, and really kind of make it a stepping stone and, and have a bunch of little stones in front of you, in front of your feet. And those are all the failures along the way. And the success is down the line from those little stones. That's kind of how the visual goes. And so when you have those obstacles and stumbling blocks and you have those um, failures, you just say, instead of, oh my gosh, I better turn around. I'm going the wrong way. You understand you have to keep going. That that really is the, the simplest visual. And then Brian, um, this kind of goes more to a go for no strategy. Um, but one of the things I teach people is the whole idea of go for no is to hear more no's so that you can hear more yeses fundamentally. In other words, and, and and from a sales standpoint, it's being, being able to fail from a selling standpoint, like being, having customers tell you no will get you more yeses. Um, and, and the visual I give people when they get a no is not just to throw it away. Um, it's to really think of it almost like a gift. And if somebody handed you a nice, pretty red box with a big bow on it, like a gift, what would you do with it? Well, we would unwrap it and figure out where to put the gift, right? What to do with it. That's my visual for for getting a no. And you can kind of use the same thing for a failure. And so when you unwrap it, and you th- you say, well, where, what am I going to do with this now? And so when, when you're selling or when you're making an offer or whatever, and you get that no, it's being able to respond to that and being able to, to value it and put it somewhere. And so um, from a selling standpoint, I tell people, um, this is where you need to respond, like figure out what do you want to do now? Do you want to ask them if you should stay in touch with this person so that maybe that knows a yes down the line? Or is there, do you want to dig a little deeper and say, oh, wow, I'm surprised you said no. You seemed really interested in going forward. Is there something that I missed? You know, do we want to dig a little deeper, right? So it's really seeing that no as a gift. And I think when you look at your failures that way, when you look at the obstacles and then being honest and analyzing and say, what did, what did I miss? What did I not want to see that was maybe in front of me or that I didn't understand? And then taking that and really valuing it and learning the lesson. Um, and then you just have to have the attitude to pick yourself back up and move on. There's no great um, mindset trick beyond that. But if at least you can value the, those learning moments, as you said, then you can see it as part of the process and see that the time that you spent, like a lot of us, oh, I wasted so much time. I wasted so much money. No, not necessarily. Not if you can see the value. Right. And it, and just like you said, it's a whole different way mm-hmm. of looking at it. And you need to do that. So how do you get someone to, to not take rejection personally? <laughs> Other than like you shared you know, treating it as a gift, how do you kind of get people in a mindset where they're like, it's not personal? You know, I've, I've heard the thing, you know, if someone's saying no, there's not enough mm-hmm. information yet, they don't have enough decision. It's not a personal yeah. rejection. Well, sometimes it could be, but most of the times it's not personal. It's it's something that's unanswered and you need to to overcome. How do you get people to to shift that mindset from not personal to pursuing it? Like you said, finding out more questions. What yeah. can I help you with? What didn't I I love that question. Well so you well you made an interesting point, which is most of the time it's not personal. Sometimes it is. And 
that's, I think, the thing that we're all afraid of because we don't want, nobody wants to be hurt like that. Nobody wants that kind of personal rejection. And I try to, I, I give people the analogy of, um, you know, if, if you go see a, a movie, um, or actually, here's my other favorite one. Um, if you and I are walking down the street and we see a woman in a, um, a white and green flowery dress, and I say, oh my gosh, I love that dress. And you say, oh my gosh, that's the most hideous dress I've ever seen. And if we were to both tell her that, right, you say that that's a hideous dress. And I say, oh my gosh, I love your dress. Who's right, right? Who, who, who is right? And so really what it comes down to is that valuing of other people's opinions. And if you can pull yourself out of your, and, and pull yourself out of the personalization of it and value the, just the fact that everybody has tastes and it's okay. And even if it's a little personal, like you might be insulting that woman's choice because she picked the dress. So you basically just said you have bad taste. Well, it's just her taste, right? And it's just your opinion. And so we have to work at pulling ourselves out and detaching so from, from everything and personalizing everything. And funny story. So one of the books that Richard and I wrote, it's called Million Dollar a Year. And it was um, a book for the network marketing profession. And um, our reviews were pretty good. We had one guy who reviewed on Amazon, and I don't usually go into Amazon and comment on reviews. They, you know, it, it's uh, it it usually doesn't work out, and author, authors are told, you know, don't do it, right? Just like don't don't comment, don't mm-hmm. comment on the good ones, don't comment on the bad ones. But anyway, this guy said um, he gave us a one star review, and he said this book is not worth the paper it's printed on, and a couple other comments. And I at first I was like kind of crushed, right? I was like, oh, that's that's so mean. Right. And but I thought, you know, it's true for him. For whatever reason, it's just true for him. And I thought about um, this was my movie analogy. I thought about how Richard and I saw um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon years ago. And about 20 minutes in, we walked out. And I know that movie won, I think, an Academy Award or something or was nominated and people loved it. And it just was not for us. I mean, I just I didn't get it. I'm just I wasn't into it. So I commented on this review and I said, listen, I appreciate the feedback. I'm sorry. The book wasn't clearly was not for you. I and I gave him the actual analogy. I said, I we walked out of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, horrible, like in my opinion, horrible movie. A lot of people love it. So I get it. It's just, you know, it's it's totally cool. So I left that comment and I worked over these years of really detaching and trying to not personalize and just appreciating somebody else's opinion. It's okay. Other people love the book. I, who's right? I don't know. And so, but the weird, the funny thing is this person reread the book and literally changed their rating, <laughs> which yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't going for it and ask them to do that. I just, he, he ended up, re, he said, he came back and he commented and he said, I've changed my rating to four stars or whatever. It's actually a really good book. So yeah, I don't wow. know if they were having a bad day um, when they read it. Maybe they were in a bad mood. You know, we've all had those moments where um, 
you're just, if your state of mind isn't good, like if you're, if some, if you got horrible news and you're sitting in a nice restaurant, the food is just not going to taste that good. It's not going to be a nice experience. So we all have those things happen. And um, I just think that seeing it from a different perspective really helps. Yeah. And I think what you said there is so important. And I always encourage my listeners, if you guys are taking notes, which I hope you are, if not, go back and re-listen to this episode because Andrew's sharing some, I mean, and I love what you said earlier. And, and this is what I said. You said, this is so cliche. And mm-hmm. you know what I found out, Andrea? The reason it's cliche is because <laughs> right. they're true. When people always say, hey, I want to say this, it sounds so cliche. It's because it's a right. true fact. <laughs> Because it is a true thing that everybody says because they found out yeah. that's what it is. So I'm trying to figure out a way to word it. I'm going to make a meme, you know, like cliche is a fancy word for, for something, something that's true. Yeah, you know, I love that. Yeah. yeah you know? But but I love what you said, and it's so important. And, and I'm thinking of all different stories and things that I heard, but it's so true because it goes back to your mindset. If you're not in the right mindset or you're in a bad mood or something happened, you don't know what happened to that guy. He could have had something terrible happen, going through a divorce, financial stress, read it, didn't even read it all the way, got partway through and just discredited it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And when you're coming back, not attacking him, but saying, hey, I validate it. I understand it's not for you. Let me share my experience where it wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. The guy probably said, you know what? give this a, a really read through and give it. And I'm sure he went through this time and really delved in, thought about it, dwelled on it instead of just surface reading it, throwing it aside, you know, because some of the stuff we share is not earth shattering. It's not a new message right. or anything. It's keep hearing over and over because you need to do something with what you're hearing over and yeah, over. Absolutely. You know? and, and I'm sure you'd agree. I mean, a lot of us aren't, I, I have heard so many things over the years that, it took me time and time again to hear like you just sometimes that going back to kind of the cliche thing, they are true and they get repeated because it takes some t- sometimes so much repetition for us to finally get it, to finally accept it. Yeah, I agree. And if people would relax more and just understand, like you said, you, you gave some great analogies. I like how you described it with the dress and the movie and stuff. That's what makes the world go around. We all don't like the same things. If we did, it would be a, a boring yes. world. Yes. And if people – another cliche, you're not trying to reach the world. You're trying to deliver your message to the people that mm-hmm. have the same thoughts and beliefs and need mm-hmm. to hear your message. So that's what you're worried about. Your, your book's not for everyone. You know, There's people out there that aren't into sales that probably wouldn't even do anything for them, you know? If they're looking at it as just a sales Absolutely. And, and that goes to something else, which is really interesting. And that is, you know, when I, when I find who go for no helps, um, go for no isn't for the, you know, the, the super fearless. And we, you see them every now and then, um, the super fearless. I, I have no problem with no. And I will tell you, like, if Richard and I speak at a group of 300 people, one person inevitably will walk out, just one though, um, of that and come up to us and say, hey, I love your message. I, I get it. I do it. It's never been a problem. Like I have no problem with no whatsoever. And they're usually really successful. Like they're usually kind of in that top 10%. 
winning the awards and stuff like that. And those people, and we are not those people. I mean, Richard and I wrote Go For No because we need it. We we needed it then. We use it now. Um, some people just have that for whatever reason, and uh, they have internalized it and they get it. And it's just something they don't need to work on. Maybe they have other things that they need to work on. Most everyone else needs it to some degree. Some people, and some people, Brian, have written me and it just... I, I, there's nothing I can say except you have to try it. You have to get out there and hear no. You have to be willing to fail. You have to, you have to fail. And they just, it's paralyzing. And I guess for some people, maybe it's even getting professional help to some extent. So there's the gamut. There's everyone from total paralyzed anxiety to I get it and don't need it and everyone in between. And that really is, I just think how it goes. Yeah, I agree. Do you listen to Lewis Howes yeah. at all? Yeah. And you probably heard him tell the story like when I think it when he when he first went to New York and he started going up to girls and asking them out just to put himself in a fearful situation right. every day. Yes. You know? And yeah. And I heard one thing and I can't remember if this was from an old Robert Allen. Yeah, Do you remember absolutely. Robert Allen, the real estate? I went to some of the seminars years ago and I don't know if I heard it from there, but somewhere and someone said, you know what? And it was just kind of a little task they wanted to give to the group to go out because it was like a three-day event. We actually went out and made offers and different things. But anyway, he goes, I want you guys to do this, to get over your fear of being silly or stupid or crazy. He goes, I want you to go to a local Circle K, walk in, go up to the person at the register and say, you know what? I'm trying to find a Circle K. Do you know where one is around here or where the closest one is? And the guy will probably look at you kind of silly and say, uh, right. you're in one. Oh, okay. Thank you. And then go shop or leave. And you'll find out that you didn't die. The guy didn't berate you and call you every right, name in the right. book. You know what I mean? But you put yourself in an awkward situation. You survived. It's not that bad. Going back to what you said earlier, in our mind, we, we tend to make things worse than what they are. And then when you go through it, it's like, oh, absolutely. So like my like one of my favorite quotes that Chris Widener said also in the Go For No movie, he said, no is a funny thing. He goes, the more you go for no, the more no's you hear. Eventually, you stop hearing so many no's because you just you build the confidence yeah. and you don't notice it as much. It just doesn't affect you. Yep. And, and I know you talked about one of the things I was reading on there about mm -hmm. building courage. And I think you basically just summed it up right there. We all have it inside of mm -hmm. us, you guys said. And then you can go for virtually any goal and dream. But I think what you said is you just got to do it. You've got to, how does one get courage? Well, you go out and you build it by taking action. You can't read it in a book and just say, oh, I got courage now because they told me I just need to go out and do it. Well, if you read that but didn't do it, then you're not going to build exactly. that Exactly. So. It's like any other – it's really like any other skill. And it's just like when you learn to drive and you were nervous about driving. And now we drive and we don't even remember driving. <laughs> we go we go to the store and go like, did I drive yeah. home just now? Oh, my gosh. Isn't that it weird? is. That's a weird feeling. And it's – Because you're like, there are <laughs> stoplights and stop signs. I drove a 3,000-pound machine and I don't remember doing it. <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy how the mind yes. mind gets into that. Now, I want to ask you a question here, Andrea. Every successful person has a meaningful person or a defining moment that has encouraged them or inspired them in some way. What is one person or event that was your biggest inspiration in your journey 
towards becoming the woman who is living this extraordinary life you're living uh, now? That definitely is my husband. He really has um, pushed me ever so gently, but has inspired me. And and when he told me the go for no story when we first met, and I had my own epiphany and I said, Oh my gosh, I love that idea. And I, I love that message. And I just wanted to kind of live it. And I've been living it all these years. And then he said, Andrea, he goes, you're so good at it. We need to start speaking together. Like let's be a speaking team. This was back in 2006. And I said, Oh, I don't know. I really love the message, but I don't think so. And he's like, yes, you're a great speaker. You're a natural. So he really has completely changed my life. Um, so that's my person. That's awesome. And yes. he's your partner in life. That's great. That's nice to have. Yeah, together, it is. You know, it is. And we've learned to give up control, which is on <laughs> things that we, we've, we've had a separation of, of power, which is so important. Oh yeah, I bet that that's another that could be a whole nother session. Yeah. No, what are you doing currently that scares you and is making you ah, stretch? Um yeah, so this is it's definitely scaring me and making me stretch in a good way. One of the things that Richard and I have toyed around doing forever is um and we've we've been starting to do it is people have asked us over the years for advice on book publishing because we wrote go for we've been in book publishing for so long and um, we wrote a ten book fictional series over the last few years as well so we really understand a lot about publishing and we are kind of launching well kind of we're launching a business where we're going to help people. Um, with the strategy behind writing a short self-published book, something, you know, their own go for no, if you will, um, teaching people to kind of do what we did. And it's, it's fun. It's, I, it's scary because we've never taught it before, like all the information's in our head. So it's how do, how do we pull out that information and give it to somebody in the best way possible, create the most value. Um, so that's what we have going on for next year. Oh, that's great. I, that's going to be so powerful, especially nowadays. Like you said, you know, a lot of people are using that as a calling card. You know, I'm an author now. I've got this print on whatever subject that they're an expert on and are able to share that as an introduction and, and to kind of give them credibility and some authority. Exactly. Figure, that, that's you know? pretty much exactly it. Yeah, yeah. that's going to be awesome. Now, we talked a lot, of, yes. a lot about failure and failing your way, going for no and... I found here what I was, I was trying to, I don't know if I said it before, but I like to call it undesired outcomes. You know, just what I found, and I don't know, I, let me know if you found this too, Andrea, the way you say something, or basically mm -hmm. what I'm trying to say is words are so powerful, mm -hmm. I think. How you phrase it is very powerful. And people, you know, will just throw out words and they don't realize the power that they have to affect you yes. positively or negatively. I used to say undesired outcomes because people think of failure as negative and yes. stuff, you know. So, but what are one or two of the biggest lessons that you've learned from your failures? Gosh, that's such a good question. Um, basically, uh, probably the thing that I've learned the most and the, the, the small failures, um, well, I, we've had like, 
I guess what I would consider a big failure. Like one of the books that we wrote was a big time, big time failure, big expense, like expensive, the whole nine yards. Um, and the thing I, the thing I learned most is to, um, it goes back to a Stephen Covey book title. And actually it's part of the seven habits It's begin with the end in mind. <laughs> so I really learned that you have like, sometimes I get excited about something and it was like, yes, let's do this. Let's rush in. This is great without thinking and without beginning with the end in mind. So having that in end in mind, the other thing, Brian, that I teach and I apparently need to learn it myself um, because this is a huge part of go for no, a huge tenant uh, underlying philosophy of go for no. And that is never make assumptions. And I make assumptions all the time. And I like to think I don't like I teach, I tell people all the time, don't make assumptions, especially in sales. You don't know who's a buyer and who's not and blah, blah, blah. And yet I catch myself and go like, oh my gosh, you are the biggest assumption maker. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> so um, we, I, I mean, it's ridiculous. So I, um, that those are not the big failure that I think people fear. But when it happens, I kind of kick myself and go like, all right, come on now. You're better than this. Yeah, but that's what they say is when you teach the things that helps you to learn it, you know? So sharing that message and teaching that, stressing that point from the go for no message is going to help you as well. And we're, we all got things we have to work on, you know? We're not perfect. Even though we teach things or share things, it's because we're learning and trying to get better at it. And as we do, we share what's worked for us or what we've learned yeah, from so other sources. So <laughs> I think that's awesome. I love Absolutely. you. Too, and I appreciate that. Now, what's if you do, I'm going to ask this question here. If you do have this, what is your biggest business regret and what did you learn from mm. it? And it could be you and mm -hmm. uh, your husband, not just you, but maybe both of you or you or something. Maybe it's something, an opportunity you didn't take or something that you. Yeah. Um, gosh, that's a really good question. Really good question. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess my biggest regret, um, was not, uh, adopting, and this is going to sound really tactical, um, but it kind of is, it's, um, not thinking big, bigger earlier. And so I don't, I think, um, my, kind of knee-jerk reaction uh, many years ago when technology was coming up and it was like, well, we, we're not going to be a big company, so we don't need this. We don't need that. So it comes back to, I guess, playing small. I guess you'd say playing small, Brian. That would probably be my biggest regret is not um, saying, oh, we let's invest in this particular technology or let's get this platform because we'll grow into it. It was, no, we'll just stay kind of small because how big is the book going to be? How successful are we going to get? You know what I'm saying? So yeah, it, it's that. And then trying to play catch up later. Yep. Yep. And I agree. And, and that just reminds me of something from your book, Andrea, for the go for no story that you said there. <clears throat> and we all do it. We all set our own limitations. And one of the, the earlier parts of the book or towards the middle, I'm trying to figure out where it was at, where um, 
Eric is doing some sales when he's in retail. And he talks about the story where he was selling a gentleman that came in. He was yes. the first one at the door and he's all proud of himself. And he sold ties and shirts and two sport coats or whatever and pants. And and then his boss looked at him and said, mm-hmm. did he ever say no to you? And he says, no. He said, well, then why did you stop selling to him? And I thought, wow, that is such an important message. And and I'm kind of going back to the go for no because you sparked that when you were talking about your your story there. Um, how do you teach people to continue when you have your own set of limitations? Like, you know, for example, if you're making a million dollars, it's hard to think that you're going to be making, mm-hmm. you know, half a billion, you know, because you're it's out of your realm. How do you or how do you share or get that message across to people that are selling their ideas or concept or something to go beyond what their limitation is because that person hasn't said no. Is it just listening? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not, um, one of the things that it's not selling from your own wallet. Right. And, and, um, thinking about, I think we tend to, when money's involved, personalize things. And one of the things that went, um, Brendan Burchard, um, has taught in the past, and this is, can be applied really to anything. And it's, um, it, it, I, I think of it often and he has taught this whole, he did this whole thing years ago. I don't even know if he's still doing it about getting sponsorships. And he, one of the things that he talked about and trained was it's not when you're going after sponsorships, when you want to do something big, don't think about the money you have now, which might be zero, right? It's, it's think about the money that you're the, and what you would do if you had the money in the future with the sponsorships. So when you propose something, it's not like you couldn't propose all the things that you want, want to do because you have no money to kind of put on this big event. But if you had the money, what would it look like? So I think it really goes back to that thinking big and thinking, um, what would it look like? What would it look like if, um, if I had this sale or if um, I had this sponsorship money? And so it's really kind of projecting out in the future and not focusing on what you have now and personalizing it. Yeah, I think that's so important. And it's, you know, like what you were talking about. And I, it goes back to kind of what you said, too, is have yes. that end in mind. You know, what would you do if you had already accumulated all the money and what would you do with it instead of looking at where you're at yeah, right now? Exactly, exactly. Oh, and um, it's so easy to fall into those traps. And so it, it really comes down to not, again, not focusing on yourself, but really focusing outward. Yeah. yeah I think it's huge, huge distinction there. Now, what is one or two of your favorite quotes. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> I don't have anything written down. Uh, okay. I, I'm just paraphrasing. I, I can um, look it up. I and know put it in one of them detail. is a quote by a lady named Maribel. Maribel. Uh, wait, Mabel. Anyway, I'm screwing her name. I'm screwing her name up. But um, she said, um, Excellence is a matter of wait. I'm going to look this up. <laughs> I can look it up because um, this is so funny that you would ask me this. Um, let's see if I can find it. Uh, 
Now, is this from a book you're uh, reading, Andrea? It, this is, I don't know how I, I stumbled upon this. Oh, I'm just getting her name wrong too, Brian. So I forget it. It has to do with persistence and it has to do with excellence and it has to do with quality and, it, and, and persistence taking time. And I'm totally screwing it all up. But um, Maribel Morgan, is that her name? I can't even remember. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. There it is. Okay. This is one of my favorites. Persistence. See, I, it was like I had all the words. Persistence is the twin sister of excellence. One is a matter of quality, the other a matter of time. See, it's not, it's not an easy quote. Persistence is the twin sister of excellence. One is a matter of quality, the other a matter of time. And I just love that because it just, um, and her name is Maribel Morgan. That is her name. And I just love that because um, what I love about it is, uh, I love that when I think about excellence, like to me, um, there is a quality aspect to being excellent, but also it's having that persistence. It's just understanding that it's a matter of time and everything that I've done that I really believed in has never had a time limit. And I know that sounds like it goes kind of against the anti-goal setting, but to me, it's, it's like, I want to eventually sell 1 million copies of Go For No. I would love to do it in a short period of time, but, um, and we had a date that has far passed and we're not there. So to me, it's not, it's just a matter of time. It's just, it's not like, Oh, I'm going to stop. Right. It's just a matter of time. So I, I, I totally believe in that persistence mindset. Yeah. You haven't failed at selling a million exactly. copies. You just haven't yes. got there yet. It's right. got to move the date a little bit. That's all. And if people would get that concept, that what you wrote or that goal and that date, it's not set in stone. It's just giving you a target right. to go for. You know, it's you know, it's like anything else. If if I if I told you, hey Andrea, can you outline the steps of writing a book for me? And you're like, Yeah, I can do that. I said, you know, get around to it when you can, you know, in between your schedule and all that stuff. Well, you know, there's tons of stuff. 2018 may roll around next time this year and you may get it or say, Oh, I'll get it the next year, you know. But if I say, hey, can you get that by next week? Yes. All right. Well, then you're, you know what I mean? So it's, it's just a way to, to set a time frame because if we have unlimited time, but in your case, I mean, this is a little bit different. I mean, your, yours is a little bit different goal because it's like, you know what? If it takes you 10 years, so what? You hit that goal. You know what you want to get to. But you kind of know what I'm talking about where if you just leave it open. Oh, wow. It tends to kind of absolutely. I think I think what it comes down to it is I think it's kind of separating out that ultimate goal or your ultimate vision for something and the tasks. You know, so you're you're so right. Like if I said um, I want to sell million copies of Go for No, and so um, I need to be on you know. 250 podcasts. Well, if I never get on a podcast, <laughs> I don't have a goal to be on three a week or something, it's not going to happen. But if I can meet that task and that obligation, then the ultimate vision goal. So you're right. It is about breaking things down. And I think, I think just having that persistence on your ultimate vision is so key. Awesome. Now, are you a yeah, reader, I am. Andrea? Okay, because I know some people like to listen to podcasts more or whatever. What are two or three of your your best books or things that you recommend or that you actually give out to people that you think uh, other than <laughs> the awesome go for now? Um, my favorite book 
for mindset that dovetails really nicely into go for no is, and I recommend it all the time, is um, The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. That's, yeah, great book. Yes, great. Um, and uh, one of the ones I just got, um, I had just, Richard and I had just kind of finished Tools for Titans, and I just got the mentoring book by Tim Ferriss which is really good. I'm flipping through that okay. now, it, which is kind of fun. Cause like you can, it's just little short interviews. And so you can just flip around, which is fun. Yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. That's how you designed yeah. those two books. I thought was great. You can pick a section or that you don't have to read it cover to cover, yeah, you know, exactly. Straight order. And I'm um, trying to think if there's anything else that really jumps out at me. So there's so many amazing books and it's kind of fun because I've started a collection on Amazon. I have like a little influencer page. And so I'm able to go in and put all of the books that I love that um, in there just to, so I have my own bookshelf. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Okay, great. Awesome. All right, I'm going to have one more question for you. But before I do, where can the Mindset family connect with you? What's the best well, way to reach I mean, out to you? made it so easy because everything is go for no. So go for no.com, go for no on Twitter, go for no on Facebook. Great. So it's easy. Just That's go for exactly no on right. all those social media platforms, huh? And you- Perfect. All right. Yeah. Last question for you. What is the impact that you and Richard want to have with your go for no message? What is it the ultimate goal other than selling the million copies? What is the impact that you want that book Ultimately, and your message to have? We want people to live the lives that they want to live. I mean, do the things that they want to do and not have no be the thing that stops them. You know, I guess the the dream is it's one thing to it's one thing to be turned down and it happens to us all and get rejected and there's, and it's, and it's one thing to fail, but you don't say no to yourself. It's like one thing to have other people tell you no, but don't say no to yourself. So our goal is to inspire people to go for it and to fail more and to hopefully get a little closer to their goals and dreams by embracing no fundamentally. I love it. Guys, That I told you that this was going to be a great interview that's going to take you into 2018. I'm going to set you up for success. What Andrew just shared there, that's my aha moment right now that I just took. There's been a, a few through here, but this last one, I love what you just said. You're going to hear no from others, but don't say no to yourself. I think that is so powerful. And I think we say no too often. And hold ourselves back from opportunities and and things that if we would just put ourselves out there and like you guys teach, overcome the fear of failure because it's not really failure. It's it's a it's a way to get to your goals. It's a fact of life. It's a fact of what you're going to be doing in life, and to not take it personally because most of the time, mm-hmm. as you said earlier, it's not personal. Sometimes it can be, but probably ninety percent of the time, or ninety five, mm-hmm. or maybe even higher, it's not personal. Don't say no to yourself. I think that's just a powerful thing. And like I say, guys, go back, re-listen to this episode, have pen and paper in hand, take notes, write down your aha moments. But the biggest thing, please apply what Andrea has shared today. 
because there's so many good nuggets. There's so many things. And as me and Andrea have talked about, you may say, oh, that's so cliche, or I've heard some of that before. Yeah, but you haven't heard it the way Andrea has shared it. And you may have said, you know what? I've heard this over and over before. Well, then it's time to take action on what you've heard. Because if you do and you follow what she said and shared today, you're going to see some huge strides in 2018. You're going to make great changes. You're going to be able to help people and impact them other than not just sitting back and not taking action. So please take action on what Andrea shared. I love you guys. Thanks so much for listening. Andrea, I'm glad we connected. Thanks so much for coming on the show. This has been awesome. Absolutely, Brian. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. All right, guys, until next time and actually next year, which will be next week, I wish you guys a brilliant life. Hey, guys, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I really and truly appreciate it. And if you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about developing a strong, successful mindset, then go ahead and subscribe by clicking the I'm in button below this podcast. Each week, I try to deliver great content that you can learn and apply immediately to help develop a better mindset so you can build a great online business and hopefully a better life. So if you like what we're trying to do here at The Marketer's Mindset, then help us spread the message and give us a rating and review on iTunes so we can help more online marketers. Lastly, I want to hear from you. So if you have a topic you'd like us to discuss or an online marketer that you would like us to interview, then send me an email to brian at themarketersmindset.com. Thanks again. I love you guys. And until next week, take care and I wish you a brilliant life.